so this evening, I want to look at what I call grasping and creative engagement. So this morning, Bernat was talking about one of the fire, which is greed, and he also talked about attachment. But personally, I think maybe a word which for me might be a little more accurate to our experience is grasping. And so that's what I want to kind of look at tonight. And we have this tendency to grasp and possibly what meditation, mindfulness helps us to move us and it gives us an alternative, like Bernard mentioned in the Sutta, so to move from grasping to creative engagement. And so in a way, by grasping, what I mean is that we seem to have a sticky quality. So when we, when we see something, hear something, feel something, think something, and so on and so forth, it's nearly like there is this sticky quality to it. And then it's a bit like Velcro. Kind of, we come into contact, we stick to it, and it's like, you know, and you know, you're sitting in meditation and you have this thought or this daydream, and, mm, and it's kind of the Velcro, mm, I'm not sure. And so, what is interesting also to see how, is, how sticky is it, and how much can it, in a way, not stick? And one good example of that, I find, is words. I mean, what is a word? Either the longest word in the English language, I would presume, would not last more than a few seconds. So any words is a sonorous wave. And then, as far as I understand, it's gone. I mean, there have been many retreats at Guy House in this hall, and this is not filled with sticky words. I mean, the words are not all there. The hall is empty. Because in a way, there is nothing to stick at. And the word by itself is empty. I mean, it appeared and it disappeared. So actually, a word, I think, is quite representative in one way of emptiness, something which is empty. It's a little more difficult with uh, something which is more solid because the impermanence is much kind of long term. But a word, it's said, and it's gone. However, we sit here, and suddenly, you remember something somebody said three years ago. They said this. How could they say this? And it's like, in a way, the word is stuck somewhere. And it's nearly like, in a way, here, we have like a pin cushion. You know the pin cushion for the lady who saw? 
So you have the cushion, and then the words that are said to us are like pins. Tack, ooh, tack, ooh. And then they get stuck. And then time to time we've moved the pin. Oh, that was painful, wasn't it? Little blood, ooh, that one too. But I mean, there is no cushion. There is no pin. There is nowhere it can stick. But still, it does. This is what is interesting, in a way. There is that stickiness. The words stay. And so, in a way, the practice is, in a way, giving us an opportunity, giving us an alternative. Do I grasp or do I creatively engage? And so, in a way, how does that work? This kind of became very interesting to me. How does grasping work? What's the process of grasping? What happens when we grasp? And so I will uh, demonstrate it. So let's say either this is gold or diamond, or it's the greatest truth in the universe. But what is important is that it is mine. So it's mine, it's precious, and because it's precious, I'm going to grasp at it. I'm going to hold on to it. And if I do this for any length of time, what happens? First, I get a cramp in the arm. And this is actually a signal of grasping, is tension. But there is something much more problematic with doing this, is that as long as I grasp at this in this way, I cannot use my hand for anything else. So I am stuck and limited by what I'm grasping at. So what's the solution? I mean, one solution could be to cut the hand. I mean, this is ascetic practice a little bit. That's one solution, you know, get rid of the hand, not going to stick. A bit drastic. Second solution, you get rid of the object. But the object is not saying, come, come, come. You really want me. Really, you do. You know when you go in the high street and you might see a computer shop or shoe shop and you're like, mm, and this like the object saying, yes, yes. Oh, you really want me, don't you? I mean, it's not doing that. I mean, of course, advertisement put that around it. But the object is not calling out to us. We feel it is, but it's not. So, you know, getting rid of the object, I would say, is not necessarily the solution. And so, in a way, the solution is what we practice on this retreat, is actually slowly, slowly, slowly opening our hand. So then we can use the object, we can hold it, we can move it, 
And we can also use the hand for something else. So in a way, what happens? What's necessary for grasping to happen? You have grasping immediately together with it, you have identifying. I, me, mine. The two go together. Then you solidify, then you isolate. This is one of the problems. And then you limit and reduce yourself. This is what we have to see, that when we grasp, you actually isolate and limit and reduce. And then you magnify, because you isolate, reduce, you magnify what you are grasping at, and then you are overwhelmed, and it is overwhelming. And then it is very difficult to deal with it. So in a way, you have a problem, and creative engagement was look at the condition, the different thing, how do you feel, etc. Grasping kind of isolate yourself with the problem, and because it was just you and the problem, then it amplifies it, and then it cov covers everything. When creative engagement brings us back, it's not saying there is not a problem, but he say, we are not this just this one problem. We have this problem, and then there is many other things. Quality, intelligence, help, whatever. The problem is not existing independently. But we experience it as being the only thing. And that's what makes it very difficult when we grasp. So in a way, you could say you have two sidelines to grasping. One is proliferation. And probably you've all experienced this during the retreat or in daily life. Uh, I am a gardener. I love flowers. And so I mean, I do this less, but I used to do this very much. You know, I would go somewhere and, oh, this flower, wow. And then, you know, what is it? And how can I get it? And when I'm going to plant it? But as soon as, what is it? Where can I get it? Where can I plant it, etc., etc., I was not with the beauty of the flower anymore. It takes me away. This is what grasping does. You proliferate, and you're not with the experience. You are with the commentary, the forecasting of the experience. Doesn't mean I cannot get the flower later or whatever, but in the moment, it's taking away, actually, for experiencing the beauty. And this is, again, a sign of grasping. It's proliferation, moving from the object to a much wider kind of uh, train of thought. But the other one is, because of the amplification, exaggeration. This is fantastic. This is horrible. 
And this is horrible forever after. And so if you think this is horrible forever after, how are you going to handle this? You can't handle it. It's the prospect, the experience and the prospect is overwhelming. And so in a way, one thing here you have to see is you have grasping what uh, Bernard talked quite a bit about this morning, the greed, the grasping, the wanting. So you could say grasping at what is pleasant. But you also have what I call grasping in reverse, negative grasping. When actually by rejecting something, you actually grasp it in the same manner as in the end amplifying it. To see, we don't just grasp by what we like, but we also grasp at what we don't like. And the same, amplification. And so, with the creative engagement, what that brings is, first, it brings that we consider the whole experience. We consider complexity. We consider conditionality. And this helps us to meet with flexibility in a measured way. I think to me what creative engagement is very much about a measured way. What is really going on? Not the amplifying of it, but what is really going on? When I had this experience a few years back, I don't know why, suddenly I had pain, I felt I had pain everywhere. Not just the body, I felt it was painful, but that much around it was painful too. It was so painful. I thought, you know, my last hour has come. So I'm a little dramatic. And so, kind of really was painful like that. And then, tomorrow I'll talk about this, investigation came up. Is this true that your whole body and the space around it is painful? And then I did a body scanning. I went through the whole body and then I realized not. And then I went down. Oh, the head is not painful. The air around the head is not painful either. And so going through the body this way Actually, it was not painful. Going up the body this way, it was not painful either. And then I realized, oh yeah, I have a really sharp pain in my hip, which is something I know, and I know how to deal with. And so in a way, it went from this huge thing to, okay, this is what it is, and I can handle it, etc. So in a way, it's kind of like a measured encounter. And also, it gives us multi-choice. We don't think it's forever. We say, wait a minute. How long is this going to last? How can I help myself with this? Then what I wanted to do
was going through the list of what we grasp at. It's a long list. I won't cover everything, but just a bit. So first, grasping or creative engagement with self. In Buddhism, self has a really bad press. Self, no go, no self. That's where you're going. But actually, this anatta means more like not self. It basically means there is not a separate, isolated, independent, fixed self. But that what we are is a flow of inner conditions meeting outer conditions. And in a way, the practice of meditation makes us more aware of the inner condition meeting outer condition. And I think that's why, at one level, the practice is endless. Because again and again, we discover more and more of those conditions and how they interact. So if we look at ourselves, Actually, also not-self doesn't mean that we're going to disappear or doesn't mean we're going to become somebody else. One has to be very careful with that. But if we look at ourselves, we have this feeling that we are the same, aren't we? We're kind of this feeling, I am the same. And nowadays, as it's interesting. At one level, as you get older, you change less in some weird way. So when people see you after three or five years, oh, you have not changed much. You still look like you, and you have the feeling they expected you to look really decrepit <laughs> and different. <laughs> I love it. You say, oh, you look the same. I mean, I don't think we're going to become a pink elephant in between, but it's very interesting. So at one level, we're relatively continuous, but changing too. But we can see, since we born, there is such change. What kind of self can we talk about? The self of a baby, the self of a 10 years old, 20 years old, 90 years old. I had a beautiful photo of my grandma, 90 years old, next to a great-grandchild. First born, kind of first day of being born. And you could see like 90 years, like this little girl, one day old, was going to become like grandma, who looked really, really kind of very old. And it's so kind of, you think, how can this happen from this to that? And what is a self here? And what is a self there? So in a way, we can also look at the self in terms of you. You know, the self on the first day, the self on the second day, the self at the end of the third day, which might be a little, ooh, I hope not. Or the self in a day. Are you the same in the morning? 
to the evening. This morning. Anyway, I won't go there. <laughs> I was a milk-starving child. <laughs> I am not anymore. And I was very different. <laughs> so, in a way, what is this self that we're grasping at? This is the thing. It's so intangible, it's so changing, it's so, and we still grasp at it. And of course, we have a functioning, operative sense of self. The, of course, I am me, different from you, because different conditions, different experience, and so on and so forth. But the thing we often do is that we might not grasp at self, though we're very preoccupied with it, so we might be a little grasping there. But often what we do is we grasp and reduce ourselves to one of the conditions that forms us. And then took, we reduce ourselves to a physical property that I am small, or somebody else is tall, or to a thought, I am very intelligent, I am not so intelligent, or to an emotion. I like when somebody said, I am an angry person. All the time, to the same degree. So in a way, these things are conditioned, they happen. They're transient. And to see the danger, like when we grasp at one of these conditions, what we stop is our creative potential, which can only activate in complexity. Or we can grasp at a quality. I am a good person. I am a bad person. I am a good Buddhist. And then what is problematic is I'm a good Buddhist. I am a good meditator. And then your family said, hey, if you're a good Buddhist or good meditator, why are you like this? And they kind of, they kind of check kind of this image. Or if you think I am a good Buddhist, then I should not do this or that. By now, I should not be angry anymore. Meditated for 10 years. I've done two retreats. I should not be angry anymore. I doubt it. I doubt it. I still remember my teacher what three awakenings practiced all his life with a stick looking for his attendant who had broken something. Where is he? The intendant at fleet. <laughs> so emotions are not going to be erased. They're part of being human. But are we caught in them? That is a question. Another thing interesting with the self, grasping at the self, is feeling special. 
when I was young, I wanted to be special. And then, when I was a Buddhist nun in Korea, the only French Buddhist nun in Korea, <laughs> in 75, I was the most special I ever was. One among 120 millions. I mean, that's special. And then I stopped being a nun. And then it was very interesting. I would walk around and I felt, I feel funny. I feel funny. And then I realized, oh, nobody is looking at me special. And I thought, ooh, something to work here. So when I was a nun, regardless of the meditation, I still enjoy feeling special. And then, when I stopped being a nun, I realized the beauty of being ordinary. That I did not need to be special. I could have my own special conditions, but it was wonderful to be ordinary, just like everyone else. Or, you have the grasping at the self in terms, negatively, of self-pity. This is really painful, really painful. When you go into a spiral, nobody loves me, there is no meaning in my life, or whatever it is you go, what is your spiral? And that's so painful. Because here with self-pity, we isolate ourselves, only me, everybody else is fine, has beautiful life, is loved, but me, nobody loves me. And it's interesting that why? This is so painful, it's so painful. And so is this true? Generally, it's not true. Generally, it is because we have this unpleasant tonality. And in a way, our system, due to condition, is reacting in that spiraling self-pity way. So to really be careful with that one when we go into this spiral. Then, another one which is very interesting is self-love. I mean, personally, I think love is a great idea. And the Buddha thought, you know, kind of to be loving was a good idea, because it's good for the system. But if you don't love yourself, what might be the problem there? Is that you're stuck with this person you don't like 24-7. That's not fun. However, if you loved yourself 24-7, mm, I love myself. Nice. I mean, who does not want that? And then it's nice to get it from others too, but I love myself 24-7. Mm, there is love there, isn't it? 
Why would not one do that? This is a question I leave with you. Then this morning, a Bernard used the word attachment. I generally don't use the word attachment. Because I think it, it makes me think of semi-detached house in England. No, you detach, semi-detached. <laughs> and so here I want to look at grasping at people. I think it's a very interesting one how we grasp at people. And personally, I think, what do we do when we grasp at people? It might be a partner, a child, a friend, anybody. And in a way, personally, I think what meditation, mindfulness can help us to develop is what I call creative, wise love. Because when we love someone and we grasp, what are we grasping at? Because we can grasp at different things. We can grasp at the person. So you want b to be with the person all the time, so you sit next to them all the time. When I got married to my husband, I used to stick to him like this. Until I thought, this is not a good idea. <laughs> It doesn't help, you know. He needs his space, I need my space. But at the, often we grasp at the person. We need to be next to the person all the time, which kind of, again, reduce, limit. Or we grasp at the feeling the person produces in us. But what if we get up in a bad mood? The person has said something we did not like, and that feeling is not there. Doesn't mean we don't love the person anymore. Because often that's what can happen. If we grasp at the feeling provided and the feeling is not there, you think, well, where did it go? And so in a way, love is something we cultivate. I think this is very important, this creative wise love. Or are we grasping at the value we get from the person loving us? And when the person is not there, where is the value? Does it go with the person and then I have no value? I mean, this is a bit dangerous, putting our value on somebody else who can be impermanent. So again, being careful, what do I grasp at? And what happened when I grasp at those things? And so I would say love is nurtured by non-grasping, by, in a way, acceptance and trust, caring, appreciating, influencing each other, because we become our own outer condition. And then one interesting thing here is in terms of you have two person, let's take two person because it's easier to describe. So two person 
fall in love with each other. So there is lots of good feelings between the two persons. And then they decide to live together in the same house, in the same space. And then things start to become a little tricky. Because the feeling might be there, but the two persons discover they have different patterns. And especially they have different survival mechanism patterns. And then what do you grasp at? You grasp at my patterns are better than yours. So you have to come over here. You have to, and I presume you love the person because they're slightly different from you, hopefully, and not just kind of identical. And then it's interesting that you grasp at yourself and you grasp at the person so that they become like you. And they can, but only up to a point. As you know, we're looking out for that, grasping at one's own pattern. And then I wanted to say, grasping at things. So I've already mentioned it little. Kind of, kind of things glow. Oh, I want this. And also, often grasping at the newness. I mentioned that a little already. You, you see something, it has this glow. You think, wow, I want this. If I get this, I'll be so happy. And then you get it. And how long does it last? Generally, not very long. Uh, so I used to write books. And then one day, my first book was going to arrive in the post. And I thought, wow, I get my first book. This is fantastic. I'm going to, wow. you know, so I was all very excited many, many years ago. The book arrived. I opened it. I kind of take the package out, I look at the front cover, I look at the back cover, and that's the time it lasted. Then did not change my life. It was nice, but so in a way, sometimes we have to be careful. We're not grasping so much at the thing itself, but we're grasping at the hope of what this will give me and which will last longer than it might do. So to be careful there. And then again, we talked a little already about this. What is it I need and what is it I want? This is at the moment in terms of simplifying. I find that very interesting. At the moment, there is this whole talk about heat in France our dear president, I decided 19 degrees Celsius top. And we think, oh, this is good idea. We're all ecological. Me too, I am ecological. But 19 degrees? It's a bit cold. 
So I see myself. This is so interesting. In terms of, you know, grasping. So I'm going down from 22 to 21 at the moment. I'm at 21. I don't know if I'll be able to go down to 19. So in a way, it's kind of like how much we grasp at comfort, how much we kind of have a little discomfort. Then there is words. I know I mentioned already, but for me, this is so important to look how we grasp at words. And in a way, to ask ourselves, either inner language or outer language or what somebody says to us, to ask this question, is this true or not? And in a way, also, when we remember something from before, it's past. It's gone. Can we let it be? I know it's not easy because there is that kind of a painful tonality. But can we creatively engage with it and not be each time kind of like a dagger in the heart? And really asking ourselves, is it about me? Is it about them? Also to look at the words that trigger us. This is interesting. You know, you're discussing something with somebody and they innocently, they use a word which triggers you. Or you use a word in yourself which triggers you too. And to notice how it kind of like amplifies. I used to do this to friends, poor Buddhist friends, when they used to use non-conceptual. I used to pounce on them. So I don't do this anymore. I have improved. Or if inside myself, suddenly I would say, this is unfair. And then my husband had the kind of the is the world a fair place? I mean, you want the world to be fair. But if the world is unfair, instead of kind of getting upset and amplifying, can we do something about it? I think there is a difference between feeling, oh, this isn't fair, and I need to do something about it, and going and doing it, and in a way, this is unfair, and then raging within ourselves, in a way, for little purpose. But also, I think it's important to see how sometimes we grasp at the word of others. And this nowadays, I mean, before, gossip. Before it was gossip. How what has been proven is that People have studied gossip. They do PhD in gossiping. And they found that generally what you hear when somebody gossips is a negative thing you think yourself already. So it's reinforcing as you reinforce. But nowadays, it's just on the internet. 
and to kind of you, you see somebody saying something, and then, bah, this is true. Immediately, we get so easily influenced. Or we want, I can't see myself watching a TV program. They discuss, and it's like a ping pong. This one says this, and you think, hmm, maybe they're right. The one says the opposite, hmm, maybe they're right. And it kind of, we can be so easily influenced by the word of others. So I'm not saying not to listen, but really to be so careful. Is it true? How is it influencing my mood in terms of that other person, in terms of that situation? And then I wanted to finish with views. Because views, again, this go, we go from words, but we go some words we share with others. So now we are in silence. And to me, what is the beauty about silence when we are a group? Is that we are together in a different way. And we're not obliged to say, I am so-and-so, I earn so-and-so, I do this important work or not, or I'm doing not this so important work or whatever. And we're just human beings all together with a similar intention. And what also you learn is that sometimes you find yourself saying, oh, I could have said this, oh yeah, I could have said that. I know once I did a month meditation in silence. And to me, it was really so helpful because after that, when I stopped being in silence, instead of just saying anything that passed through my mind, I was more like, hmm, do I need to say this now? Do I need to say it in this way? Maybe not. And there was so much more space in terms of the speaking. Because sometimes we speak, and we speak faster than we think. And then sometimes we regret it. But here what I wanted to look at in terms of grasping was when you're discussing with somebody. So you discuss about some views, some idea, and then notice how I have this view, and this is my view. This is the best view. This is the only view. Everybody must believe this. And we can do this very quickly. So basically here you have grasping to self in action. And then if you discuss with somebody and they question your view, you're not taking it as a question your view. You're taking it as a question your own self. And that's terrible. And so, back and forth. The discussion becomes an argument. When the discussion could actually become a dialogue. And a dialogue, you listen to the other person, they listen to you. And out of the two view, you get a meta view. Because one person thought something you never thought, and vice versa. So in a way, 
you expand the view. And also you see complexity. You see the different side, the different element. And the last one, because it's a funny one. And the last one is grasping at place. Grasping at a place. I mean, can we grasp a place? I mean, a place is like you have Gaia House, or you have London, or you have the mountain, or you have the amazing this or that. And of course, we can appreciate a view. We can creatively engage with a view, with a place, with a place. But what we do is we grasp at the place and then we compare the place with another place. Hmm, not bad, but not as good as that one. And I find that so interesting because when you do that, you don't see where you are. When I came back from Korea in 85, Korea is an amazing, beautiful place. I was in a mountain, beautiful temple. And then I end up in Devon, in a manor house, in this beautiful environment. And I'm kind of walking around like, oh, it's okay, but it's not like in Korea. <laughs> and I did this for quite a few months. Not bad, but pfft. Not the same, not as good. Until one day it was sunny, it was beautiful, and suddenly it hit me. The beauty of it finally went through the grasping, and it's its own beauty. I don't need to compare it to another one. So that's what I wanted to share. <laughs>